This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Gillette released a new 1 minute 48 second commercial on Twitter recently that got a lot of people talking. The ad tackles the issue of what is referred to as toxic masculinity, including bullying, sexist talk, and violence, linking them to their famous tagline, the best a man can get. It's the latest example of a brand taking on social issues of the day. While the ad has generated some criticism, with some men saying they will no longer use their razors, has this move been an overall win for Gillette? Joining us on the phone to discuss this right now, Michael Keeler, who is a professor of masculinity studies at the University of Calgary in the Workland School of Education Research. And also joining us, Hank Boyd, clinical professor in the marketing department at the University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Michael, Hank, thank you both for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, so, Michael, you, you work in this area and look at these uh, types of issues. This ad comes out and your reaction to it is what? Uh, I was actually quite uh, enthusiastic about the advertisement. I thought activism, social activism uh, meets commercialism. I thought this is just one more example of ways in which uh, companies, agencies are uh, really reflecting a very different uh, user-consumer, uh, a much more informed consumer. And as such, I, th I think uh, they're acknowledging uh, these are current times and these are current issues about which their consumers are interested and have opinions about. Hank, your reaction? I agree wholeheartedly with Michael. I think it's wonderful that we've got this progressive era and the progressive tone and saying, let's, let's latch on to the issues that really matter to folks. And in the Me Too era, there are companies out there that have strong brands that uh, can definitely move the needle when it comes to something like this. So it's rather bold in terms of how they set up the ad. And when I think of the best a man can get, it's always that iconic imagery of when you learn to shave, it's usually your emulating your father. Your father teaches you this is what it means to be a man, the best that a man can get. And yeah. to take that slogan and expand it in, to just explore its elasticity is, I think, a great thing. What do you think is the, is the impact, positively or negatively, for Gillette down the road? Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead uh, to start. I think this uh, is just one example of, of many that we're going to see and are seeing. This is not the first example of a company um, using this uh, sort of social activism, commercialism, engagement sort of thing. I think the impact can uh, be very positive. I think that, uh, you know, the reaction, the negative reaction in particular that seems to be going around social media and getting a lot of coverage is, is a portion of a population, men and women, who are reacting suggesting that this is an unfair representation or some men are suggesting we get it we've heard this before we know the message um, and how dare a company take uh, the moral high ground that that kind of uh, response I think that gradually will diminish I, I right. think uh, with time we're going to see um, more acceptance and acknowledgement uh, which is really interesting because I think that um, part of what this uh, advertisement points to is historically the ways in which men and masculinity uh, has been uh, performed. And, and part of that is by not being good listeners, mm -hmm. by using strategies of aggression 
to to deal and solve uh, problems in the past. But it is just a snapshot, snapshot, and it is historically a view of the evolution of masculinities because it does reflect current times in which more men are speaking up and speaking out, for example, against violence, uh, assaults, and so forth. Hank, your thoughts? I agree. All things must change. And to keep your brand fresh, to keep moving in the right direction, I think they ran the numbers. They said, what's the long game here? If we look at the audiences of Generation Z and we look at millennials and what are they thinking, this empowerment of women, and it has to dovetail with reigning in this toxic masculinity is the, is the term that we're now using. So it makes sense in that regard. Yes, always in the short term, there are going to be a few of those stalwarts saying, I believe this is the old-fashioned way and the conservative ways and the sharp gender lines, but that has to give way. It's going to be a new day that's coming. So it's a smart play for Gillette to sit down and say, let's just see where, the, where it's all headed, and we want to make sure we position ourselves accordingly. Well, Michael, this, uh, this really, I think, also goes to kind of the, the, the culture that we have uh, in amongst us right now, whether it be relationships between parents and their children, what the children are seeing or what they're... Uh, their activities are involved in. There are a lot of different pieces to this that that really need to be looked at and come together to be able to address this properly. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I think, I mean, we toss around the notion of toxic masculinity uh, fairly liberally uh, more recently. And I think we need to, again, acknowledge the fact that that, that doesn't suggest all men right. um, contribute to a, a particular way of being. But it does point to a dominant narrative about masculinity, the ways in which boys and men have learned to be men and express masculinity. And, you know, to that point, it is undeniable that uh, the Gillette ad does capture these traditional notions, these stereotypes, if you will, of being a man and what that has looked like. Uh, Even their snapshots of commercials from the past and where women are in the kitchen. So the, the men who do take exception to this advertisement and are throwing the razors out and up in arms. Um, I think in many ways, ironically, uh, this is yet another opportunity for some men to reflect in the mirror, look back upon your own narrative of growing up to be a man. And and again, these opportunities are not uh, unto themselves. We saw it with um, the politics in the U.S., and we see it through these advertisements as, as chances to have a conversation, to think back, you know, and, and to um, not only think back, but to think forward about the direction which we're going in for greater equality, to acknowledge different ways of being boys and men, and as you're suggesting around our families, to speak with our youth, both boys yeah. and girls, because this is not... Uh, only an advertisement about men and boys. It's an advertisement about power, about gender arrangements, and about the ways um, that we can actually change these arrangements and be a part of that change, both boys and girls and men and women. uh, Because, as we know, um, being a man uh, also uh, is 
grounded in expectations that girls and women have of some men to be certain ways. Then, then Hank, I guess moving forward then, the expectation is that when the, the opportunity presents itself or the situation presents itself, we may very well see companies like Gillette continue to make and take these stances on these particular issues. I think very much so. I do, the luxury of standing in the middle of the road and saying, well, I'm not going to take a position, I think the day is gone. Right. And so if you have a really stellar, strong brand, you've got to have to take a position and be clear about it. Nike, I think, might be hopefully the bellwether in terms of where things are headed. They took a chance. They said Colin Kaepernick is making a stand. We are behind this guy. And in the short term, they took a hit. But in the long run, their numbers and their sales went up accordingly because a lot of people said he embodies what it means to be an American, to have a position, to believe in something strongly, and to stand when others are saying, no, I don't agree with where you stand at this point. In time, I think he will be the next Muhammad Ali of his generation. And I think with this Gillette ad, the new male or the new man on the horizon, that's where they want to be. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, again, agreeing with what Hank was saying. And... To suggest that uh, con- uh, that the agencies and advertisement companies haven't taken stands historically, I think, is naive. I mean, we need to acknowledge the fact that um, those some of those advertisements that you actually saw embedded within the Gillette ad, for example, women in the kitchen and men as the breadwinners, is a stance. It's a reflection of gender arrangements. <laughs> that are a part of our narrative, a, a long narrative, in terms of North American gender arrangements. So, so that in and of itself, when you replicate those images uh, in the past, it is taking a stance, and it is saying something about how we used to think about power and traditional roles. And so now we're actually uh, reflecting and seeing mirrored in different kinds of ad- advertisements uh, the shifting understandings of what gender looks like, what power looks like. Right. Uh, LGBTQ, uh, two-spirited people are, are becoming part of the narrative that we see in advertisement because agencies are smart, they're savvy, and they know that there's a much more diverse population that they need to reflect in their uh, commercials. But that issue of power, Michael, is something that I think is an important piece to discuss for a couple of minutes because we have seen, unfortunately, a variety of instances within businesses where the use of power by a man has ended up coming up as a negative and and led to a variety of these situations. There have even been instances, probably quite a bit fewer, of women that have had this power that have been able to use it to their advantage. Yeah, and and, and again... um, Power is uh, what the advertisement reflects in terms of uh, the power to be different, the power to uh, chart a different course in terms of speaking up against uh, inequities, inequality, to, to change the course of how we want to raise our boys, for example. And that's uh, the the power to to be all that we can be and to be different and so for me this again is a really provocative uh, advertisement it's it's certainly got the conversation going and um, some have also said oh is this just uh, jumping on the bandwagon with hashtag me too and I would suggest it's not just jumping on bandwagon this is 
a very smart and intentional um, opportunity to to reflect realities. And uh, for some people to suggest it's um, it's not accurate. Again, I, I would suggest um, that we really need to think hard about where is this backlash coming from? Who are the men and some women who are rejecting this advertisement? I'd have to agree with Michael on that point because you do not tinker with your brand. It's something that you have to be very strategic about. And when you've looked at the tea leaves and say, this is the direction we need to go, then you move accordingly. And so, yes, this idea that you're going to just jump on, this is the new flavor of the month, and we're going to try this. No, you, you wouldn't do that, especially a storied brand like Gillette. They would do their homework first. Is it surprising, Michael, that and there was even a response video that that has been put out uh, after the uh, after Gillette put out their commercial trying to uh, to push forward some of the issues uh, of the male gender? Is it, it I guess in this day and age, it's not a surprise that a video like that would come out. No, um, you know, there, we, we've seen other uh, companies, for example, you know, invite um, the public to participate in creating their own advertisements, for example, of trucks and all that they can be sort of thing. And so I think this is, again, a reflection of uh, social media, of our clients, the, the people who are looking at these ads and uh, who may buy the product or may not buy the product. Um, so you, you open yourself up to a dialogue. It's not a one-way conversation. So, again, I think what Hank was pointing to is that Gillette would have anticipated uh, this kind of conversation. They may not have anticipated the degree to which it's become uh, international conversation, at least in North America, but uh, they knew that this was going to get a reaction. And in doing so, I don't think that was done, um, you know, in a misguided kind of manner. It's done in a very powerful manner to to um, invite participation. So, so a reaction video is not a surprise. Uh, again, you, you just have to, or at least I as a masculinity scholar, look at who are the men who are rejecting or um, feeling uncomfortable with this advertisement and where is their discomfort and oftentimes not to to harp on about it goes about it goes back to what we said earlier in terms of the power Uh, some men feel threatened by this and they feel threatened by the narrative that it portrays but again as i said at the beginning i think this is actually a very positive uh, advertisement and it does reflect right. in in a much more uh, current perception that masculinity is something that we learn it's something that we participate in uh, and it's plural that there's multiple ways of being boys and men and we actually have agencies so as you watch the advertisement towards the end you see men as change agents we don't see you know a barrage of images of men who are caring, nurturing, parenting, because that hasn't been the narrative. Um, We see a lot of stereotypes of masculinity, and that points to, um, as we move along in the advertisement, the ability to change. And again, for me, that's a very positive and reflective of the kinds of power that men and women have to to change the, the story around 
uh, gender arrangements. Well, Hank, it, it, it also, going playing off of something Michael just said, it also uh, speaks volumes to what is being said in some of these boardrooms or in some of these uh, marketing offices of companies, and obviously with uh, with ad firms uh, that are working with some of these companies as well, the types of discussions that are going on to ad- to want to address some of the issues that are on the on the uh, forefront of people's minds right now. I absolutely agree. I think it opens the door to something. Let's call it productive masculinity. The idea that we can sort of say you have this power and if you channel in the right way, you can do these things that affect good change in society. I've thought about there was a response by a manufacturer watch or something more or less saying, think of first responders, think of folks that are soldiers, sailors, marines, they're out there defending the country. That form of masculinity is celebrated and it should be celebrated. And as we go forward and we think of the next generation of boys as we are raising them to say that here are the things that you can channel that energy in these areas and it can be better for all, that, that is a good thing. And that's definitely something I'm sure that a lot of these ad agencies, a lot of the marketing departments for large companies are out there saying, how do we build that narrative? How do we build that script going forward? And it's in keeping with where society's headed. Does this also filter down, do you think, to, like, let's just say, what you, what you are doing in your teachings at the University of Maryland? Oh, absolutely. I think that one of the things that we try to do at the University of Maryland is to say that decision makers come in the room and it is a group effort. So we talk about when guys engage in man explaining or when they dominate a conversation and sort of push the women to the margin in the group and the women have really good ideas, that is not good for the organization. So you have to find a form and a way in which everyone feels that their voice is valued and that you listen and the best idea wins. And I think that one of the things that's intriguing, if you look at the makeup of classes in the MBA programs and at the undergrad level, you have a strong representation of women. The key now going forward is to make sure that when we have these team projects and these exercises, that the women's voices are heard, their contributions are something that's salient for the entire audience. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, um, just as a teacher educator, I'm in a faculty of education, and this is very much an opportunity uh, for teachers, beginning teachers and veteran teachers, to use this as a springboard for a conversation with students, to think about uh, power, to think about gender, uh, to think about the ways in which uh, we can disrupt or interrupt this notion of boys being boys. And for me, I actually have been using it this past week to talk about how do you develop lessons? Uh, how do you work with students, high school students, uh, younger students, to th- look at those images and, and think about them critically and, and think about uh, what this tells us as a opportunity to think about our own gendered identities and how we can um, be critical educators uh, with students and, and help them to learn differently about the ways in which they're portrayed and what that story has told them from the past and what it says about where we're going in the future. Again, I, I hate to harp on about the, the potential that these kinds of conversations have right. for, again, contributing to a much more progressive 
um, uh, discussion and much more thoughtful uh, way for reimagining masculinities and reimagining gender arrangements. I, I think, Michael, the, and to touch on the, the issue of social media again for a second, but I think it's, it's important to note that that social media is being used as a vehicle to get this message out, but also some of the issues that are out there as well are being enhanced by social media. So we're using the same medium. Unfortunately, it's being used on both sides of the fence here. Yes, and, and you know, it's I, I found it interesting. I have a 15-year-old son, and so when this first came out on social media, I showed it to him and had this conversation with him, and his response was kind of, so what's the issue here? And he, I said, well, there are some men who are reacting very strongly, negatively against this. And his response was he thinks that those men must be overly sensitive to how they're being portrayed. And he said, this is accurate. And I, so I thought that was really interesting for him as a 15-year-old boy. And he saw nothing wrong. He thought that was a fairly accurate rendering of gender and um, the ability to be different was uh, kind of a no-brainer from a, from a 15-year-old's voice. Hank, your thoughts? And as a point of contrast, I have a daughter who's nine. And so when I showed it to my daughter, she was looking at it, and right away she zeroed in on the bullying. And she's a bully buster, so she thinks that is really wrong, and it's something that should not happen, especially in the school environment. And that's a bit of a paradigm shift. As a parent, I remember what it was like going through school, especially elementary school, that bullies were part of life. You just accepted that, yeah, they're these kids and they're not going to like you and you've got to navigate your way through. But it's a new era where we're saying we can take that out of the equation. There shouldn't be this sort of aggressive toxicity of the masculinity as far as the ad is captured. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Way. Uh, the other part to it is, again, I, I want to touch on Michael for a second because I know of a, a friend of mine who has a nine-year-old daughter, and, and Hank, I'll address this to you since you have a nine-year-old as well, that his nine-year-old daughter was called a, a certain derogatory name uh, on the school bus by a 10-year-old boy. And, and I, I want to take this back to the, the parental side of this for a second. If a 10-year-old boy is saying something to a nine-year-old girl on a bus— then we're talking about a real culture problem that that needs to be addressed be, between the parents and the kids themselves. I agree. The entire community has to be involved in this. So the parents of the boys, the parents of the girls, they need to sit down and say, what is acceptable? What are the, the boundaries? And it's not an easy conversation to have, but it's one we have to have. It's almost as if it's this pushback of that old guard of school saying, well, it's masculine, you've got to do these, and boys will be boys. That has to end. We've got to revisit this. We've got to change it accordingly. If all parties are involved, I think we will get there. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah. Um, a, again, uh, this is clearly a chance to, again, reflect on listening to your examples uh, with 9- and 10-year-olds. I mean, this is a conversation that we as parents, as educators, you know, as agencies, commercial agencies, need to invite participation in um, to suggest that um, this kind of gender imbalance and inequities is, is going to uh, resolve itself, yeah. again, is naive. Yeah. Uh, it will remain, as uh, President Trump said at one point, <laughs> that's just locker room talk. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that really does do a disservice 
to um, men and women's abilities to to change the course here, to redefine the kind of relationships both within work, within family, within our day-to-day that we want to uh, participate in. And I was at the Women's March on the weekend, and there was an increase in number of boys, young up to teenagers, and men alongside women as allies. And this is largely what um, the conversation can be about, is how do we participate as partners to to change uh, how we understand gender, power, and the day-to-day interactions. And it is no longer a matter, um, as we once thought it was, of biology, that this is just natural for boys to be aggressive and to resort to aggression. That notion of biology (laughs) dictating our behaviors is being challenged. And this is a good example of showing how we learn these behaviors. We learn what's acceptable, and we also learn what locker room uh, talk sounds like, looks like, and how it gets maintained or perpetuated. Gentlemen, I have to end it there. We're at the top of the hour. Michael, thank you, Hank, as well. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 